Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hi, everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions. You can submit them at trainerroad.com slash podcast, and we'll go through those questions and answer them. Of course, we have a number of things to cover before we get to those specific questions, though. If uh, we get to those questions. If we get to them, because there's a lot to cover this week. There is. We've done a lot of things, and we've researched a lot of things. And, and other stuff too. But, uh, let's just start actually with, um, uh, yesterday evening we went and actually there's, there's a really good event coming up this weekend. sounds like it's going to be an annual thing. So if you miss it this year, it's one to put on the list for coming years for sure. Uh, but the Peter Sagan dirt Fondo is going on in Truckee, California, which is about, you know, it's about 40 minutes from our office here in Reno. Pretty mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a mix though. So there's a road portion, which we're going to get to later because we also did a TT on the road portion of this course. Yet another TT. Yeah. Yet another TT. And we'll get to that because there's some exciting stuff with that. Um, for anybody that's tracking our 40 K TT buildup and prep and everything else, there's some interesting results here. But, uh, before we get to that, there's almost 40% road. Yeah. So, and then the rest is dirt there. This is like. I want to make sure we, t- we will too, just yeah. say everything in principle, mm-hmm. because not every, you know, probably like a hundred people listening are doing Sagan Fondo and then everyone else isn't. Yes. Um, yeah. It's like a whole bunch of road and then dirt, but they made the dirt sections where there's some like bumpy, like a little, <laughs> it's technical, right? Not oh, yeah. technical. Yeah. It's, it's I, there's like, a, so there's a <clears throat> section called the, so the majority of the course I would say is, which is 65 miles long, right? Yep. 65. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, it's about, I mean, the, the majority, I would say the dirt is, is like gravel road, mm-hmm. um, Jeep trail. That's relatively smooth. The majority of it, but yeah. maybe could, for you, but a lot of it was like, they're a little, like it's been washed out from the, uh, winter and yep. there'll be these bumps. Yep. Yeah. Jolts that force you out of your saddle. Yeah. They kick yeah. me up. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not dirty Kansas. This is not just like, you know, it's not a gravel road. No, mm-hmm. it is not. You have some of that, but the majority of it is not. There's one section called the Boneyard, which a lot of people are fixating on. And it's basically a spot where I think that it must have been a riverbed much, you know, many, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's just rocks that are, you know, fist size to all the way to milk jug size. Yeah. Yeah. And you basically it's that's all there is on the trail. It's not like you can you're you're weaving between those. That's you're you're forced to go through them and over them. So, you, so it's you, kind of like a situation. The interesting part about this, and I, I see more gravel races going this way, and I kind of like this, or I just see mixed surface racing kind of going this way in the sense that there's definite compromises. It's yeah. not like there is a specific bike that's best mm-hmm. because to optimize for that boneyard, which is a two mile climb where you could lose significant amount of time and possibly puncture. A couple little water crossings. Yep. You have a few sections like that where it makes you think, man, a mountain bike would be really nice. Yeah. So that's a good thing to say is we, when we pro or pre rode it yesterday, Chad and I were on cross bikes mm-hmm. with, uh, I had forties and you had a 45 and a 37 mm-hmm. and Jonathan was on his mountain bike. And Jonathan, reason, why were you on your mountain bike? Yeah. I'm just trying to get in as many long days as I can in like a, you know, a race scenario before Leadville on my Leadville setup. And I and, plan to constantly improve or evolve that setup as I get closer to it. So I'm not necessarily chasing a result at this thing. And I know everyone's saying it's a Fondo. Well, it's, it's a competitive race. No, like, this one, the, yeah. right on it, it says, this is a race. 
There's yep. one in September that's a fun ride, but it says this is a race with age group stuff. Yeah, top three for each age group. Yeah. Yep. Five-year brackets, I think. Yep. No, 10-year. 10-year. Mm -hmm. okay. And solid racers are showing up. I I know that we're going to have Jeff Kabush. He pre-rode with us. Katarina. Mm -hmm. uh, Katarina Nash. Just a normal Wednesday night. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know. right. Some of the world best cup. in the world. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Exactly. 22-time national yeah. champ in Canada. Uh, I think four Olympics between the – maybe five Olympics between the three of them. That's just crazy. The, or between two of the two, them, of, two them. of them. Pretty, pretty insane. So, but they're showing up. I I've heard that Levi Leipheimer's showing up. I saw that he did a really hard ride and took some KOMs, some famous ones yesterday. I bet Stetna will so come he's up. He's moving. Stetna was with him and he has a bike monkey event too. So, and they're the ones that promote this. So it could be like a pretty stacked field, but the, I'm just doing that. I, I think that in my mind for, and this is where we get to an interesting point. If I was to optimize for this course in this race, I would pick a cross bike with mm -hmm. large volume tires. I would have a wide range of gearing and my bike skill would allow me to get away with that. Mm -hmm. But I think that certain, depending on the rider you are, a different bike is best. Yeah. And I think that it's probably that way for, for a fair amount of courses, but especially for this one and moving forward, I see even more races being like this. Cause you feel like the mountain bike's actually better for you. Yeah. Last night made the decision for me, a cross bike is not for me on this course. And the reason, the, the reason is, is because although I could ride the whole thing and I wasn't in danger. Um, going speed through even gravel roads that have all those bumps where I'm getting bucked around, yeah. I either have to spend so much energy like hovering up mm -hmm. um, or I, I'm like timid and I'm kind of on the brakes and I'm dodging things rather than on a mountain bike. You know, it's like a 2% grade or something. You're going 25. Um, on a mountain bike, I can just blow through all that. Yeah. Right. And then on the climb, it's like a 40-minute climb probably, 30-minute, somewhere in there, 30 yeah, to 40-minute climb. Yeah. That's technical the whole time. And the amount Steve of energy <laughs> – yeah, it's, it's steep too, right? So the yeah. amount of energy that I have to use to, to dodge technical stuff, I think I will, will it'll be more enjoyable. Um, at the end of the, the ride, my hands, because I was gripping the bar so tight on the cross bike, um, yeah. it, it, that part would be really hard for me to go. I'll be safer, and I think I'll go faster. And there's, there's another point, I think, when you're thinking about which bike to choose for this race, although there's so much road, you got to think about how the race is going to play out because we know this road section really well. And th what the speeds are in this, I think it's going to be a big group. And I don't think at the very beginning, especially with, there's no like major climb at the beginning, yeah. there'll be such a big Peloton going through that I'm going to be barely pedaling. There'll be a couple climbs, mm -hmm. but I think I'll be able to get over those fine. And they're really short climbs Yeah, that I, I won't be like, if I was solo, it would be a different s story, right? I'm a mountain yeah. bike and I'd be yeah. really on aerodynamic and but you think that you can hide in the draft of the group and then also perhaps get away with having lower gearing like you have on a mountain bike and not needing to pedal really quick because you can just hopefully latch on and stick with that draft, I guess, is the... Is yeah, the on, I mean, I, I think that they won't even be going that fast because we, again, we did the, the TT and some of the downhills, I'll just tuck. And if I'm behind somebody, mm -hmm. like even if they start pedaling, as long as I'm in a draft and I'll have a dropper post too, which is another thing to think about, yeah. I'll be able to get so low on the bike that I'll be even more aero. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, my tires will probably have a little more rolling resistance, but I don't think it will be enough. And I'm, I'm bigger, right? So yeah. on those downhills, I'll be able to, I'll be, I bet you I'll be hitting my brakes. Yeah. Right. Rather than having people pull away from me. Yeah. I'm curious to see how the road sections play out for you. Cause I'll be on a cross bike. Cause I've, I've done the, the boneyard in particular twice now. And I did it once on a hardtail mountain bike with high volume tires, 2.2s, I think. Yeah. 
And then now I've done it on a cross bike with what Nate described, a 45 front and a 37 Relatively rear. Relatively so high volume. Pretty high yeah. volume, yeah. yeah. And uh, got the pressure a little low, so that was a little tricky. I was bottoming out. But I, th I think I found the sweet spot, which, by the way, for me is about 30 pounds. In, uh, and I'm going to be using 40s. Mm -hmm. And I think these are like maybe 20 or 19 or 21 millimeter internal width rims for people okay. wondering. Yeah. No, no, he's, you're going to use mine, 25. Oh, that's right. Ooh, yeah, I'm going nice. to the NBC. Hey, so you'll probably With, end up uh, dropping pressure a bit then. I'm going to try Since, 30. I think yeah. 30 was about what we settled on because yeah. I went down to low 20s. And like I said, I was bottoming out. But with the wider internal width was abusive to say the least. Yeah, with wider internal width, in most cases, you're going to end up dropping pressure a bit mm -hmm. um, he rode, to get the same. He rode my bike in the same field oh, he at did? 30 per yeah, round. Yep. Yeah, I tried awesome. it up. Yeah. Cool. I did my homework. Nice. Um, so, so you're kind of with a cross bike, you're almost, it's not that you're optimizing for the road. Well, I the, feel like you can like, and sorry, while I, while I flatter you for a bit, but you have a lot of, um, stability and mm -hmm. we've talked about this before, but, but you ride a bike separated from your bicycle and you have a lot of core strength. So you're able to, you know, manage that the bike can move underneath you. Everything, yeah. everything I'm not. So, <laughs> but that's why I feel like, no, I think it's, the I think it's a bad. good fit for me. I actually enjoyed it yesterday. Once I got the tire huh. pressure, right. I think I enjoyed it more than I did on my mountain bike hmm. just cause it's, uh, I'm not even sure why I, I just know that oh. the rest of the course, that bike's going to benefit me. Yeah. And if I can get through the harder stuff that would merit a mountain bike on a cross bike, then I'm, I think I'm going to enjoy that more. And Kurt pointed out that Kurt Gensheimer, the guy who designed the course, designed the course, pointed out that, you know, there are two ways to go about this. If you're looking to push the pace and go for your fastest time, the cross bike's absolutely the way to go. Yeah. If you want to enjoy yourself, yeah. the mountain bike's absolutely the way to go. Um, to be fair though, Kurt's skills yeah. are Jonathan. Kurt's oh, next level. Like crazy. I Lecture. always say that Kurt's like, he's twice the, the man that I could ever want to, you know, I could ever desire to be. Yeah. He's like a mountain man and, and he's yeah. a gnarly dude. So and, uh, actually looking at you, Chad, <clears throat> watch you ride it. I think you would be faster on your Canyon hardtail mountain bike. Mm -hmm. It's like 19 pounds, right? 20. So you're, 20. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're going to lose like two pounds. My mountain bike's 25. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the only thing that like kind of gets me, mm. uh, you know, question it. And you have a full lockout and your bike is so rigid it on locked out. Locks out. Yeah. And I would be <laughs> getting lockout. just, we had, we had, you could even run Riddlers on that. I mean, you could run just real. My, my biggest concern with tires. going on the mountain bike is single hand position. Cause it's cause we did that first pre-ride on the mountain yeah. bike and it beat my hands <laughs> up. And I know the togs that, that, that we can talk about that in a second, but yeah. being able to go on the hoods, on the drops, on the tops, yeah. I spent a lot of time on the tops on the more, more abusive stuff. And it worked really well. Sure. You yeah. can't actuate the brakes from there, but if you're a skilled yeah. enough rider, you don't need to. Yeah. That, that brings up a great point is, and I've experienced this during a long mountain bike race. Being in one position for a long time is it starts to hurt. Yeah, it does. Oh, yeah. So Jonathan found these goofy things. <laughs> yeah, really I, goofy. I don't think yeah. they're goofy at all. I think they're great. Everyone I, thinks they're goofy. I didn't want to. for me. I didn't want to run them for a long time, uh, just because I was like, they look like not cool. That's like what I thought. Devil's right? horns, almost. Yeah, they like like they give your bike mini little horns that are about geez, like an inch tall or so. But they're called togs and the thumb over grip system, which is funny that they call it. Like it's kind of <laughs> funny, system. right? Because <laughs> it's it's just a simple little thing that clips around your bars, just to the inside of your grips. And all it does is like, if you're a mountain biker and, and envision this with me right now, you have done this before when you're tired or you're riding for a long time or you're relaxed or you're climbing up a hill, you take your thumbs and you put your thumbs over the grips because it allows like a different shoulder, a different position all the way through from your neck down. You're not gripping. You're just resting on your hands. Mm -hmm. And you, you're in that position and you've probably also found yourself in that position thinking, 
wow, what if I hit a bump? Because I'm not really paying attention right now and my hand slipped off. Or you've actually hit a bump and let your hand slip off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so these little things just give you like easy leverage. Like you don't have to carry. The other thing I, I find that like, um, geez, after like single track six last year, my hands were like, I couldn't mm. even open them. Yep. Right. And being able to just ride with your hands totally relaxed and I would act, I'd be able to move my fingers, everything else, because right there locked in the in the crease between your thumb and your forefinger, you've got like a, just a bit of leverage. It, it, it basically it really simulates helps. a road brake hood. The yeah. same place you rest on the brake hoods, it's that, it's just, it supports it in that, that exact same spot. And it's- Yeah, yeah. they're I clever. They're super clever. They so. really help. And they have like new ones that are like flexible. So then when you, cause my worry too is like, I don't want a little prong sticking up from, they're not sharp, but I don't want anything, you know, sticking up from my bars like that. But the new ones are actually rubbery and flexible there. It's, it's a clever thing. And for, for long days, or, I mean, even for, I see guys using them like the top guys, like, uh, you know, Keegan Swenson, Payson McKelvin, all those guys, they use them even on XCO races, the short mm. hour and a half to two hour races, just because you're carrying so much tension through your body that it's nice to be able to have that different position. I'm going to use them on climbs that are not, not the, not the bone yard with the baby heads, but just gravel climbs, just being able to put there. Mm-hmm. I won't do anything like fat and flask be- Fat, no. <laughs> Flat and fast. fast. That's it, guys. Thank you. Um, because if I do hit, I, I need that. I'll be gripping on so hard. I, yeah. If I hit a bump, I'll yeah. fly off and stuff. But just yeah. for the climbs, it'll be really nice to be able to relax a little bit right. and focus on putting out power. Yeah, I mean, I came up in a day and age where we had actual bar ends yeah. on the end of them. So we yeah. had a whole, we had a few different positions to choose from. And for whatever reason, that that didn't pass muster. It and became people, uncool. I, that was a long time ago. It yeah. was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm a pioneer. <laughs> right. I was amongst the pioneers. Let's put it that way. So this is going to be interesting. Um, yep. I'm excited to hear about how we, or I'm excited to share how we do because I mean, I'm, I'm riding a mountain bike and my goal is just to put in a very steady power day. Like I want to be able to finish this race because it's 67 miles and I want to be able to finish this race, not feeling like, oh, I don't know if I have any more left, but I want to be able to finish this race and feel like, man, this is like, I've put in a consistent, solid effort. Cause that's the sort of thing at Leadville. I'm not, you know, at Leadville, you don't set the world on fire. It's, it's a consistent long, you know, steady yeah. effort. So that's what I'm going for. And Chad's going to have the cross bike, which opposes mm-hmm. that because on the, then on the road, you know, Chad has a relative <laughs> advantage and then Nate will be on his mountain bike to benefit his, you know, or to balance out the weaknesses. And yeah. it's, it's going to be interesting to see mm-hmm. how we all do. So um, yeah, but, but the point yeah. being, there's no one right bike. So you're going to have to decide, just prioritize, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. It. Um, Jonathan hasn't said this yet, and I don't know why he hasn't, but he got a new mountain bike and he hasn't even mentioned it yet. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even so which mountain it bike are you going to ride? Yeah, the Yeti SB100, it's their new bike. Um, some people are branding like this new breed of cross-country bikes as down-country bikes because they're like cross-country bikes with downhill tendencies, so to speak. Um, and it's definitely one of them. I feel like that whole thing's been around you know, long before, I mean, the ASR, the one I had before was even like this, but 120 millimeters of front travel and a hundred millimeters of rear travel. Uh, but it's got a 67.3 degree head tube angle, which for any geometry nerds, that's actually really slack for a cross country bike. Um, and a slack head tube angle, just imagine like those Harleys you see from way back in the day where it's like a chopper that everything's slacked out. That's a very slack head tube angle. Uh, that usually helps you carry momentum better. Um, it's, it stops your, it helps you not get stopped up in stuff. And it makes the bike handle a little more aggressively when you're descending. So it's like a really good descender, but I've built this thing up to be 23.7 pounds with a lot of effort and cost into that. But it's, so it's a light full suspension bike, relatively speaking, especially for what it can do downhill. 
it's not like, it's not the ideal bike for this gravel race. Right. But I still don't feel like I'm at a relative disadvantage because it pedals. It's so incredibly efficiently. Uh, I think he'll beat both of us. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. No yeah, question. Right. Yeah. 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 I was having fun on that ascent yesterday. Yeah. It was fun. You guys are fast. <laughs> yeah. It's a blast. So, so that's what I'll be riding on uh, for this and all subsequent mountain bike races. So it's a dream bike. It's pretty cool. Um, with that in mind though, uh, let's actually backtrack a bit. Nate, um, you last week, we talked about your allergies and how it affected your performance. We'll get maybe. to you. We'll get to your yeah. performance later, um, because yeah. maybe it hasn't affected things to see. <laughs> um, but maybe it has. let's, let's, I guess digging into things you talked about, I mean, I think you take an inhaler, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before working out. Yeah. A, a prescribed inhaler, mm-hmm. which is what Ventolin or what, what's the, oh, albuterol or albuterol. something. Yeah. Albuterol, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then we got kind of deep into the weeds at looking into like, if you're treating something with asthma. Like what's legal, what's not legal. Yeah. Cause we, well, there we got a lot a, of weeds. We got in a conversation cause I, my allergies were so bad and I take so much over the counter medicine and sprays and I've gone through two rounds of shots and I've done drops and none of it helps. And I was complaining because, uh, Wiggins got his, like his, <sighs> uh, what is it? That's it. Shot yeah. for his allergies during the, I don't, maybe he did have allergies, but it was, he got a TUE for it and stuff. And we were complaining saying, I should get that, but they probably wouldn't give me a TUE. Yeah. So I started researching. I'll hold you really quick here. I don't know if you noticed, but they said that Wiggins stuff was delivered in a jiffy bag, a very suspicious little jiffy, which is like a padded envelope. Chad got a padded envelope sent to the other day. <laughs> I did. I did. And it said it was from and like a pharma the... company and it said it was time sensitive materials. All, all true, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and to let the cat out of the bag or the mint flavored Tums out of the bag, they were just yeah. sodium bicarbonate or, or whatever that is. Yeah, yeah mint flavored Tums. Yeah. Yeah. That's clever. Okay. Exactly. Huh. Just so look. anyways, I, I thought that I was catching some sort of a great scandal. I really didn't. But <laughs> yeah, I'm going to send it here to too. That's, that's how I go about it. <laughs> it was fun to pretend so. <laughs> so let's go. First, I went to the doctor. Yes. Um, I had two problems. One is the allergies. And I was like, what, what can I do with these? Mm-hmm. And two, the saddle store we talked about before, I gave it a week off. I did one ride on the TT bike and it got angry. <laughs> oh no. Like real angry, <laughs> like really big. You went to the doctor, didn't you? Did you not? I went to the doctor and I went to like a same day doctor and guy was about my age. And, uh, we did the saddle sore thing first because it was big, bigger than it's ever been. That's usually something that like everybody stops at that. Like they don't want to go to the doctor for a saddle sore because yeah. of privacy, right? Yep. <clears throat> like, and this yeah. was in the, like, the worst spot it could be. But it got so bad. You were like, yeah, we're going to, yeah. So I've got a tip. Cause of course the doctor wants to see it. Right. Yeah, of course. So he gave me this like piece of, uh, like uh, paper, like a, a big, like uh, a, placemat yeah. for dinner. And if you put that over and kind of lift stuff up yeah. and then he's like, I got to lean back. And my wife said, this is what it's like when, uh, we go to the gynecologist, right? Like yeah. you get it. So anyways, I show him. What he did was he poked the thing 15, 20 times. This is my least favorite story ever. Over and over and over. He's just like, well, it could be this and it could. He didn't know what a saddle sore was. He thought it was, the nurses were like, did you get a battle sore? I was like, no, it's a saddle sore. He's like, oh, you've been riding horses? I'm like, no. Um, So he just kept poking it and poking it and poking it. Um, just coming up with ideas in not his head, needed, not yeah. needing to do that. Yeah. I'm like looking at the ceiling. What's going on here? <laughs> oh man. So with the saddle sore, oh, what he bro. did is, this is what he told me. He said, don't use Neosporin. He said, if you're going to use something, use Polysporin. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> he gave me like a prescription 
um, antibacterial stuff, which was super expensive because insurance didn't cover. It was like $65. Oh my and he gosh. said, but you could use polysporin too. I think sometimes, I don't know if this is true, but I've like one time a doctor prescribed me something and I didn't look at it, but it was just, it was, it was like prescription level Tylenol. Yeah. So I could have just taken twice. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I had to, and this was at two in the morning. So I had to go drive to a 24 hour pharmacy thinking that I needed something. And yeah. I look at it, I'm like, Hey, this is just Tylenol. <laughs> yeah. So I thought yeah. he might've just been giving me this prescription yeah, yeah. to make me feel better when really he said, just don't ride on it, which I'm not riding on my TT position because my bike doesn't do it. And then use the, uh, polysporin. polysporin rather than the $65 you know, cream. Do you know the difference is between Neosporin and polysporin? Yeah, there, there is, he told me there's one active ingredient that will, are you, are you quizzing me or do I don't you know? know? I don't know. No, there's, there's something that he said would agitate the the saddle sore oh, inside of Neosporin rather than polysporin. Oh. I don't know what the difference is. Hopefully somebody on the live who's a doctor can type it in sure. or yep. knows, Yep. but eh, I don't want to talk bad about all doctors. So sorry about the whole prescription thing to get you out of there, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe go to a sports physician next time. Yeah, yeah. For a I saddle sore. Someone who actually knows what a saddle sore is, so he doesn't have to do so much poking well, it's and prodding. <laughs> Spare yourself. Or dermatologist, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to get in, like, uh, what yeah, I really want to do. All yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, dermatologists are complicated. So yeah. I talked about, the like, an allergy shot. And yes. actually looking up at this, what it really is, what Wiggins got is a Kenalog shot. And that blew my mind. That's like the brand name of it. A lot of people refer to Kenalog shots commonly, like it's, yeah. it, but nobody refers to it as triamcinolone usually. Yeah. My, my mother-in-law gets it all the time. Yeah. She's, yeah. My father right? got it his whole life too. Right. Got allergies. Yeah. Yep. Got it all well, the time. She's never going to compete at the world level. Yeah. <laughs> True story. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, anyways, he said, because you had the sore, you do not want that short of the, shot at the same time mm. because of uh, your immune system, hmm. which made me think too, it was bad. Anyway, what's, long story short. He gave me Singular, which is totally legal on USADA stuff. The one thing is Singular, one of the side effects is like affecting your thoughts and mood. Hmm. And uh, my wife and I, we think that it does. Here, I I seem pretty mellow maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, anyone else taking Singular, it's like, it's crazy. After one week, me and my wife, we're going to, I'm going to stop taking it now. Yeah. I'm going to try just doing it at the, maybe it races until I figure out another thing for my allergies because. Really? Because it affects mood that much. Huh? Oh yeah. We're ready to, she's ready to, <laughs> but you know, just your mood <laughs> when you're with your wife, not in general. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 Never mind. I remember, I, I think that you were taking it beforehand and I remember you, you were having the same thing. So it, yeah, and I've, I've noticed it too. I've taken it four times in my life and each time I was, I, I get kind of, what it is, is, uh, I'm, I'm faster to trigger. Yeah. So, right. you, shorter fuse. you know, shorter fuse and, um, littler things get me uh, more yeah. angry. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So, so we we like trade. we tried to dig into this because we looked at all the different allergy medicines and and we tried to Im man we got really deep into the weeds and it's and it's a weedy mess a bit of it. Um, yeah. So we we actually referred to and and this is some some interesting interesting stuff. You can go onto Global Dro and that's D R O um, dot com and you can go through there and you can look up like uh, the name of the and you won't like like aspirin, like you can search that and it might come up with something as common as that. I don't know, but oh, a lot does. of the time it's coming up with like, if you say triamcinolone, something like that, like that will pop up in there and it will have guidelines that are provided uh, to make sure that you're within compliance with the governing yeah. bodies that you race with. Really so, specific guidelines. So to go back mm -hmm. on this, my whole fear was if I were to get a Kenalog shot, like, like yeah. it was, it's such a common thing that I was wondering how many age groupers get a Kenalog shot and then could be 
like caught doping, which okay. would be which would brand them for life. Brand yes. them for life, right? No matter what, even if you're in like Doesn't if matter. you're a, a local, I don't know whatever your job is, yeah, and you get branded as a quote unquote doper, oh, and yeah. you didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would, I mean, it's, it like yeah. ruins, it doesn't ruin, maybe it does ruin lives. It's yeah. in the process like of ruining lives right now. I mean, we've yeah. seen it in the past. We've seen it with, I don't even need to name names. Yeah. It, it happens frequently and it's yeah. happening right now. And B samples, like it doesn't, like I always, it's like the B, I don't know if I've ever seen a B sample come back and contradict the founding of the A sample, but at the same time, let's say it does, it still doesn't matter. Because everyone, because they saw the first bit of yeah. news come out about that, you're, you're branded. But, but I think what can happen so. is like regular Joes like us um, and Jans. Yeah, unintentional, yeah. right? Your doctor gives you something. That's because it's the best thing for your health. You just trust yeah. your physician. You don't really think about whether or not it's going to render yeah. you. So that global yeah. drill site, you can type in the medication and it will tell you if it's legal in competition or out of competition. And when I put in the trimacinolone. Trimacinolone. Thanks, guys. Yeah. When I put that in there, it said that it's <clears throat> it's not prohibited out of competition, but it is prohibited in competition. And I know that this shot lasts for like, I think, six, six weeks, weeks or I something think. like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, what does that mean? When yeah, does like, in competition begin? Yeah, right? Like, yeah, can I take it? If I took it, so what, I actually emailed them, and it's really cool on that site. You can email USADA, yeah. and they will respond to you. And I had a PhD respond to me. Yeah. I had a different experience. I haven't heard back yet, so huh. I'm not sure they're consistent. When did that. you email? Uh, four days ago. Huh. Yeah, give it a couple more days. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're about to get overwhelmed with questions. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get bombed. <laughs> Um, so I emailed them, like if I took it, so let's say I had a shot today and I have a race in three weeks, is that in competition or not? Right. Like how long does it take to drop off to the point where it's, it's your, your, you know, you have enough to be able to trigger that test, you know, if you were tested. What's the glow time? Yeah. Glow time. Exactly. What's the right? glow time. Yeah. Um, so there's, there are a bunch of, and then it also, there's another differentiator there. And the other differentiator is if you're a national level athlete or a non-national level athlete. And what does that mean? And how you administer it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, intramuscular, intravenous. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the administration method totally changes this as well. Oral. Um, and we, so I, I actually called up um, some folks. Uh, number one, a uh, gentleman that was involved. Uh, he's he's actually uh, one of the managers of the TUE, TUE process at USADA. And then also... Uh, I spoke with that same PhD that you spoke with as well. So I spoke with them on the phone and I asked him first on the national and non-national level athlete. Cause I was like, I don't know what I am. I've gotten a podium at a national championship before. Does that mean that I am? And he said that it's, it's in many cases, the process is subjective. And in the sense that what, what he really means with that is they look at your results yeah. and then they try to build a profile to some certain extent. He said, if you're competing in national championships and you're placing well, um, he says that you're probably going to be in that, in that, that position to be a national the level pool athlete. of writers. Yep. And that's and something they just, that they, they build themselves. Right. Cause yes. when I emailed, they said, I don't see you in the national pool. Why are you yep. asking this question? Yep. And then in some cases he said that if you race internationally, so let's say that you, um, for example, Dave Christensen, one mm-hmm. of our film, our filmmaker here, incredibly fast pro cyclist, he goes and races internationally. In that case, he might cease to become a national level athlete. And then what happens is he's at kind of like handed off, they hand off the baton to an international organization. And then they would be the ones responsible for testing him in that situation. And he might not be considered a national level athlete thereafter. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's just because of the demands of testing and how like it costs costly that can be. So they only, you know, they try to focus it down. I'm not sure why. Did you find out if once you're 
part of this pool, you're forever part of that pool? Is there? Um, a... Yeah, I asked him that question, and he said that once again, it's somewhat subjective. Mm. Um, but he said that he said the best thing. He said if you're getting a knock at the door, you'll know you're a national level athlete, and we get that <laughs> right. That's pretty Great obvious. News. So I said is it safe to just assume that you're a national level athlete then if you're like, should everyone behave as if they are a national level athlete? And he said, he said, it's hard to say yes, because the amount of costs that could be incurred thereafter because of being a national, national level athlete could be very high because in that case, you're having to go to doctors, get to UEs, go through and make sure that you have everything in order. And he said that that can be pretty costly for a lot of folks, um, seek out alternative medications, perhaps, you know, that are much more costly, but they might not be, you know, a banned substance. If you plan to compete at the national level, it's definitely in your best interest to be extremely cautious. Yep. And that's why he said the TUE application process is online and it's super easy to do. They try to make it as simple as possible because they understand the fact that a lot of people are going to have to just, you know, play the better safe than sorry card in this type of a situation. And on their website, it says that if you get the top three at a, uh, like a governing body, Mm-hmm. Uh, event, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. We which thought would be like even in this a case, state or district. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like a district championship or a national championship. Uh, in in that situation, like you know, if you're a top three athlete, you can almost uh, just be assured that you're in there. But it says for 25 years on their website. Yeah, yeah. On their website, thing. it does. So mm-hmm. uh, that might be a catch-all to say like they can always come back and get you. Yeah. But well, the interesting thing is there's different rules. So <clears throat> yes, when I emailed, they said for the corticoids are never banned for non-national level athletes. So even though this thing says in competition, I could take, we could do in the middle of any race, I could take Kenalog shots all day long. Yep. And you're good. (laughs) And I'm good. Because you're a non-national level athlete. And this is kind of confusing for a lot of folks because when you sign like your license to be part of USA Cycling or something like that, whatever the governing body is, I don't Mm -hmm. know uh, in, in foreign circumstances, but in ours at least, when you sign on with that, you, if, as a license holder with USA Cycling, you agree to an anti-doping code and living by such. So um, I guess that what I got to, I kind of assumed that it was just like, well, I have to abide by the same rules that, that you know, that, that Chris Froome abides by. Yeah. And, in, and it's actually not that way across the board. So the, and it's, it's a little bit complicated, but the best way to go about this is to look those things up with due diligence, make sure that you're really checking those boxes. They do have people staffed to be able to answer those questions. Um, ask as many questions as you need to make sure that you're clear on that because it's, it's depending on the substance, depending on, like Chad said, the method of administration and depending on your status as an athlete, you will have different rules applying to you. So again, the website is globaldro.com. Yep. And it is such a cool website. I, mm-hmm. I started looking up all this medication. Um, Nasacort, which is trimacinolone. Triamcinolone. Triamcinolone. That is the same <laughs> no drug, but it's, <laughs> but it's yeah. a spray in the nose yeah. that's legal. Yeah. Right? Um, if you get... I'll just say Kenalog uh, shots. To a easier. dose, I'm thinking. I mean, you can't just pump that stuff in there. Well, you can do as much as, I mean. <laughs> We've seen that happen So if before. you do a lot of, <laughs> no, I, 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 this is just the nasal spray. Yeah. And um, if you do a lot of it, you'll get nosebleeds. It's yeah. not going to en- enhance your performance. Okay, yeah. Like it's not a <laughs> systemic thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so again, now in competition, I got the, the final word. In competition means 12 hours before competition, all the way through a competition until samples are collected after the race. So that means that, and that's talking about the testing. So that's an in-competition test. Well, yeah, so I can't. That's an important thing to to, to differentiate, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so in-competition tests 
are that's the time frame that they consider an in competition versus well, also competition. Also, I can't take the drug in competition. Yes. So if I were to start a race and I took a Kenalog shot and I'm a national level athlete mm -hmm. 16 hours before and my doctor prescribed it, I wasn't <clears> just getting it online and you're in the clear. I'm in the clear. I think even if I tested positive, I'm, I don't know this for sure. This you is what I'm assuming. Have, you probably have to have a, a, the doctor with the yep. timestamp and say, yes, I did this. This yep. was the reason. Yep. You know. Essentially, you'd have to have a TUE, I'm sure. So. Well, I don't know if you'd have to have a TUE for effect. that because it was not. It's it, worth checking. It's worth checking. <laughs> that's the way to say it, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty much, if you're going to be on the line like that, mm -hmm. it's, you go to that website, there's a little question mark on the or question box on the right side and you check. Yes. Cause it is right now we're confused, right? Oh yeah. And there's, and the thing is after talking to them, they said like, basically this is a, this is an N equals one case by case type of a thing that every person has to resolve. So, that's the biggest takeaway. So basically yeah. we, we've given you nothing. Useful. No, 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 no. Here you go. You, if you go to the globaldro.com website yeah. and you find the medication you're taking, it's not prohibited in yeah. either. So just a bit of due diligence. Yeah, I wouldn't worry exactly. at all then, right? If it says on their website, it's not prohibited in or out of competition. Yes. You're in the clear. You're in the clear, right? And the main takeaway that I wanted to get across is the fact that don't assume that you have to abide by the same rules that Chris Froome does. Uh, or anybody else that's a, you know, top level cyclist, it's an individual case thing. Yeah. And, and also it's, it's worth saying there is no forgiveness thereafter. If you are caught, you are caught. It's, you have to do this beforehand. It's yeah. not like you can say the TUE was in process or I was working on it. You cannot do that. It does not work. So what about, I think you asked a question about supplements. I did. Yeah. Cause I was another thing, you know, in the supercross world right now. So motorcycle racing, another rider got, um, he got, he got popped for a substance that was in, uh, what I believe they're claiming. I'm not sure, but I believe they're claiming it was just in the supplement and it wasn't listed, but he got popped for it. And, uh, as a result, and I, I think that's the, the case, I'm not entirely sure, but, um, as a result, you know, he's, he's caught out and it's, it would, I think a lot of people take different supplements. I know they do. Cyclists do. They're searching for recovery aids or whatever else it might be. But you got to know supplements are a minefield. Oh yeah. And, yeah. The, and, and the reason is it's not necessarily like the ingredient list isn't comprehensive. Like it may have trace amounts of something else because it's yeah. all, it comes from the same factory. Yeah. The level of manufacturing, the, I mean, the fact that they're not held to FDA standards or mm -hmm. any standards for that yeah. matter. Yeah. So I asked them, I said, do you have like a seal of approval basically? Like, do you have a, do you have a process that a supplement manufacturer could go to you and then make sure that they follow this? And they said, they no. And it's just not feasible. They said it's, it's, it would be way too hard for us to, to control that. Like we could lay out the steps, but they said, basically, it seems like it would be almost impossible for these supplement manufacturers mm -hmm. to actually follow that to a T as things are currently organized. This is, you know, this is big. So in the, um, Let's see with the recovery, with the recovery drink things we talked about last time, some people recommended some of the, like the, the bodybuilding ones. Mm -hmm. And there's always this, <laughs> this rush on like bodybuilder forums where people will make like something with like test booster in it and they say it's all legal, yeah. but they actually put something else in there to make it more effective. And, and if they label it a proprietary blend, they don't have to spell Disclose out it. what that is. I yeah. believe they just, they don't have to spell out anything. They do whatever they yeah, want. They probably don't. Yeah. And what happens is all these people find out, well, this really is effective. It's on the market and it's really hot seller for many months. And then it gets pulled from shelves because they find out there's something in it. Yeah. But if you are a cyclist who gets tested during that time, yeah. it, that's really scary. Yeah. So I, there's certain like, I actually do trust some brands. Yeah. I trust Gatorade's not going to put anything in there. Scratch, right. um, Osmo. Osmo. Right. I don't think that they're, when you can look at the label and there are literally six ingredients on it. That's good. Feel yeah. pretty good about that. And nothing's, can, nothing's uh, mysterious yeah. whatsoever. Can you imagine if like 
Gatorade, put something in there. Oh yeah, and like yeah. they couldn't. Do every it, athlete right? got. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't do ones. it. Like right? it's yeah, just it not would, possible for yeah. them to to continue. Like they would, they would never do that. But some of these, like the the. Uh, some of these ones, the the person on the bottle is obviously taking steroids, right? Like <laughs> yeah. the the look of it. So I would uh, what I'm going to do is stick to those kind of more yeah. that or just eat regular food. Yeah, yeah. whole That's food good based too. anything really. Yeah. It's a way to do it. So yeah. segue to that. Yes. What are the things? Because we just talked about. I, I really don't want to. It would be the worst thing in the world for me to get caught doping. Yeah. But <laughs> what could be um, some things that we could take that would be Performance enhancing, mm -hmm. but legal. Yeah, and and, the, and like you just said, really quick, and, and just before you jump into this, Chad, like, mm -hmm. uh, is when we're talking about performance enhancing, you can get performance enhancement from eating, like you said, a clean diet that's yep. well balanced. Yep. And you'd be amazed at the performance enhancement you can get out you'd of that. Be trainer road. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's so many different things. So when we're saying performance enhancement. Any cyclist that wants to get faster should constantly be looking for ways to enhance their performance. That's mm -hmm. the point of it. Um, training, but, training and diet. Yep. Let's just say yeah. that. But if you're looking for some, you know, supplementary ergogenic aids, yeah. we, we've talked about cherry juice plenty. We're not going to yep. dive into that. Maybe we'll do a little homework on that and, yeah. and talk about that at a later date. But we just looked a little more closely at beet juice and caffeine. Yeah. And in order, um, start with, with beet juice, which is basically nitrate. So if you hear nitrate, um, you ingest it, you put it in your mouth or bacteria in your mouth to break it down into nitrite. Mm -hmm. Then it gets into the bloodstream. Once it's, you know, makes it through the gut and into the blood itself, it's, it's, uh, NO or nitric oxide. Gotcha. So either way, let's just call it nitrate. Um, <clears throat> not, not super encouraging, um, in terms of that there's most of the studies point to little or no effect. Gotcha. Um, but I was reading one blog, um, Nate Dunn, a data-driven cyclist pointed out, and it's a super good point is that when they say there are no significantly or statistically significant improvements, but we're talking marginal gains. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times just because it's not significant doesn't mean that it's not worth chasing. Yeah. We're chasing like fractions of a percent. Exactly. You know, exactly. So like it that. might actually be beneficial to some riders, mm -hmm. but you got to just keep in mind that unless you're on that fine line, probably not going to do a heck of a lot. It's not going to make you into a pro cyclist, let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Something that I it's heard. It's not EPO. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something I've heard with beet juice, um, or, or I should say just beet, it doesn't have to be the juice, right? It can just be beets too. It can be, yeah, yeah, beetroot. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the juice or the concentrate, either way, we're looking for a certain level of nitrate. I've heard that like regular supplementation Mm -hmm. um, diminishes the positive effect you could have. Not so much with uh, nitrate, at least not based on the studies I looked at. Interesting. Um, so, so what it does is it, it, it doesn't improve VO2 max. It lowers the, uh, the oxygen cost of submaximal exercise. So okay. below ex so below submax, so below threshold, let's say you get a little more, um, work for the same amount of oxygen <gasps> or for more oxygen, you get a little more power. Dude, this sounds like I should drink this at Lightville <laughs> the whole time. It, right? Well, if you're chasing a very small marginal gain and you like the taste of beets, I'd say yeah. go for it. Yeah. Um, and then like there's the some improvement. Of, I like the taste of beets mixed with like apples and mixed with some oh, fully. And mixed yeah. Yeah, so why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then there are some improvement in VO2 kinetics. So, and that's just, mm. uh, whenever you see that term, just understand that all it means is when you go from a certain level of intensity and you ramp it up, your breathing ramps up really quickly, but then it stabilizes. Mm. How quickly it stabilizes is a measure of your VO2 kinetics. So elite athletes stabilize in, on the order of like 15 seconds, whereas less conditioned athletes or people with metabolic disorder or, uh, 
um, uh, cardiorespiratory disorder could take them two, three, four minutes to stabilize. Huh. So it's a, it's a sign of fitness. So how much are you actually looking at like taking in, I guess? Um, it's there were a couple ways to go about it, but basically it boiled down to about six to eight millimoles. Okay. And when you look at the, I think the, the molar weight or the molar mass of nitrate is right about 60 grams. Okay. So let's say 60 milligrams times six, about 360 times eight, 480. So we're looking at somewhere in the four to 500 milligram range, okay. which is about 10 ounces of beet juice. Okay. Or if you go concentrate, you're going to about 2.5 ounces. Gotcha. And then uh, spinach and arugula are also really good sources of it. And you can get huh. juices of those as well, but you're looking for something in the four to even 600 range. If you're an elite athlete and you're looking for gains, they're harder to come by hmm. and you have to up the dosage. And even then it's not conclusive that it actually benefits performance. Uh, so it, it's like anything else, a bit of experimentation. So, and th this is in the, I think like, uh, if, if you're going to do the micro or the single dose, I think it's like, uh, I wrote it down, maybe 90 minutes out. Okay. I'll try to find that and confirm it in a bit. Alternatively, or in addition, you can do it over the six days prior to competition and take that same dosage per day leading up to it. And Got then it. even chase it with another dose day of. Gotcha. But again, the, the gains are so slight, it, it, it makes me beg the question, is it really worth all this effort and all this expense and intake? And Yeah, because it is. Concern. Beats aren't cheap. And then you end up going and through. And concentrate and the beet juice itself yeah. is not cheap either. Uh, I a Pro tip. So I have like a, a very informal beet juice recipe that I have. Um, I, I usually throw in, I think it's like three beets. And I have a juicer that, that I use with this. Um, you can save the pulp and you can, you can actually make a smoothie with it if you want, sure, whatever. But uh, just as an FYI, if you make like pulped beet juice, it's pretty bad. Uh, so mm. it does, it's like, it really like a tastes beet bad. shake sort of. Yeah. And it's basically just because they, they taste so earthy, the, the external, the yeah. outside of them and everything else in the root, but, um, that, and then I throw in, um, an apple and then I throw in a lemon. And then when you throw that stuff together, it's absolutely delicious. Um, and a pro tip with that is mix in sparkling water just a little bit into there. And then it is it extremely, bit. yeah, refreshing. Um, so, I did come across, so um, pre-competition, two to three hours out. It peaks about two to three hours into cool. into or after the, the consumption of it. So you can time that based on, you know, if you got a four-hour race, maybe you take it immediately prior. If you got a one-hour race, you take it two hours prior, three hours prior, whatever. <laughs> so I did, I've, a while ago, I bought a juicer and it is... Juicing beads are, is so messy. It's a lot it of gets work. So much work. <laughs> we have two juice places here. Uh, yeah. Actually, Kiva Juice in the U.S., which is a chain, yeah. they'll do cold, cold pressed beet juice. Yeah. Um, you just walk in there and say, oh, "Give me some beet juice," yeah. and they'll fill up. Uh, I think it's twelve ounces, so right around there for what four or five bucks. Yeah, exactly. It's genuinely worth the cost. Like right, yeah. Then the work and the price of a good juicer. Yes, it's um, it's like yeah. a lot. Of yeah, it's like it's like the whole espresso argument. I mean, I, I <laughs> yeah. can't afford a. Uh, I can't even think of the brand right now, but they're Mar Marzocchi. Or La Marzocco. La Marzocco. Yeah, yeah. These things are like four or five grand. <laughs> and the amount crazy. of work to do. Oh yeah. Right. Every day. And, and you got to yes. clean it and keep it up and yeah, yeah. it goes everywhere. And you got to go buy all the groceries and then. Then you hire somebody to make your espresso every morning in your house. That's what happens too? <laughs> if I buy a bunch of stuff to juice and you miss like a day or two. Yeah. The vegetables go bad. Yeah, exactly. And then That's it's the worst thing. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, are we ready to jump, uh, so let's, to caffeine? let's talk about caffeine briefly yeah. too. I mean, it, I don't think you need us to tell you that caffeine has ergogenic effects and that it's legal, uh, up to really high dosages. Um, and it was, it was to a certain level, but right now it's on their watch list, oh. which means there is no 
limit. Oh, there you go. Yeah. As far reason. as I know, you should yeah. probably check the site, right? <laughs> Once again, you should check it. Globaltrader.com. <laughs> but um, Nate so, said yeah. it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, so, so, so as far as the benefits, largely we're looking at reductions in perceived exertion. So you just, yeah. you, you can ride out the pain a little bit better. That's, that's the big get. Mm. Um, it also has a sparing effect on muscle glycogen. So, mm. and that's, that means it increases your dependency on exogenous carbohydrate. So it means you gotta, you gotta eat. Yep. Um, and it enhances glycogen replenishment post-workout when combined with carbohydrate intake. So, huh. so these are obvious, easy gets. Why not? Mm -hmm. Especially if you if you favor coffee and you're yeah. already a caffeine mm -hmm. uh, in, in biber. Let's, let's and if you're it. not a coffee person, there are plenty of like things like a, a lot of things science contain and sport caffeine. has little tablets that, mm -hmm. that are cola flavored with caffeine. Or which well, brings us to goo dosage. Bar. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. So in this case. Uh, Plenty of studies on this matter. Um, three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight is about where we find the the, the optimal return. And for, for a rider my size, I'm at 185-ish pounds, puts me about 84 kilos. We're looking at 250 all the way up to 500 milligrams. Wow. And to put that in perspective, a cup of coffee typically is around 100 milligrams. You know, that, that depends on how you grind it, what the what the, um, the roasting is, et cetera. There are things that can influence that. Espresso, right around 75 milligrams. Hmm. So easy way to do this in order to peak that and not have to gulp down a ton of coffee and have to, to whiz five minutes into your race <laughs> yeah. is, you know, caffeine pills, or I think there are chews, there's gum. Um, there's pre-race that has yep. taurine in it too. Yep. Um, that's by EFS. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, and let me point out one thing really, really quickly while we're, while we're on the, the dosage, three to six milligrams per kilogram. Yeah. Exceeding that doesn't have any measurable effect. They've done it all the way up to nine milligrams. I think they even exceeded that at some point, which is a crazy high amount of caffeine yeah. for a decent sized rider. And there was no measurable performance in, increased benefit. performance benefit. Yeah. yeah. You might be a little more shaky. <laughs> um, and one more thing, let's get the details out of the way. Plasma levels peak. So blood plasma levels, the amount of caffeine in your bloodstream peak at about 60 to hundred minutes prior to, to intake. So gotcha. again, if you want to time that to your event, gotcha. there, there's your time frame. <laughs> there's two, uh, two things I wanted to discuss. One is, uh, coffee are not created equal. No. Cause that's sure. like what Chad just said as a rule of thumb, but if a Starbucks blonde roast, um, has 20 ounce venti has 475 milligrams of caffeine. Good Lord. That's so there you go. Right. So that's like right there at it. But a lot something that people don't know is the light roasts have more caffeine than the dark roasts. Yeah. You think the dark ones are like this beefier, meatier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the less roasted coffee. it is, the less, uh, uh diluted, so to speak. Yeah. Huh. And then Kona oh, coffees are even less caffeine. I'm pretty sure if I'm wrong, someone please correct me, but they like a Hawaiian coffee has even less caffeine, very low. Interesting. And, um, I believe too, with, uh, I know triathletes do this a lot is they will reduce their caffeine intake. And I'm actually doing that too right now yeah. is because if you are, I mean, I would probably take 600 milligrams a day just yeah. recently. Um, and then you don't get as great as an effect if you've ha if you take in all the some time. cases there's a genetic component to this that, that, that denotes or indicates who responds how to caffeine intake and even habitualized users can still see a big t uptick in performance due to the, all the oh. things we described here even if they're regular coffee drinkers huh. Did you just so take more nope not necessarily it, it, it kind of depends on it comes down to like i said a genetic influence that i, I can't remember all the details on right now but it's it's not it's not the same across the board. Super interesting, huh? It, does caffeine and beet juice interact at all? Yeah. So what what they found is there's not really an additive effect. So if you're doing the beet juice, the caffeine is not going to further the performance improvement, and it can actually negate some of it. Interesting. There there at least is one study that supports. 
Marginal, it can come at the detriment of your beet root. Marginal gains, root juice discounting intake. other marginal gains. So yeah, for real. Yeah, before yeah. our TT on Tuesday night, yeah. I filled this cup up, which is what twenty ounces, yeah. mm-hmm. with cherry juice and beet juice. Uh, cherry juice and wow, <laughs> together. Uh, maybe that's your it secret. Was, it was yeah, my secret. It. Yes. No can we just trans? Can we just go right in? That was a good Somebody one. call you. With that <laughs> smooth, smooth segue. Yeah. Uh, so we had a TT this week again, and for those that don't know, uh, we're focusing on time trials right now. The three of us and and actually the more than that, uh, a handful of us at the company here. And we're, we're trying to figure out every single detail that you can take care of to become a faster time trialist. So uh, we're documenting this whole thing. We'll have uh, a, a great piece that's going to be released on this and, and you'll be able to watch that on YouTube and everything else uh, coming up. Um, but uh, we're all working on this. We've, we've only done really one time trial and, the, and Nate was out Nate of town. Nate was absent, yeah. Yep. So it was Chad and I, we got, to, we got to face up, heads up against each other. And it was only a three second difference. It was a short time Over, trial. Uh, yeah, sure. yeah like, I guess 17 miles, something. 17-ish minutes. Yep. yep. And uh, hilly. So it's not what mm-hmm. we were going to face at all on Hilly, on but subtly day. so. Mm-hmm. Less hilly than what we're about to describe. Yes. <laughs> what we did this week was a Merck's TT. Um, do you want to explain a bit of what a Merck's TT is? I know yeah. it's different than normal. Merck's are just looking to level the playing field. So you take out all of the arrow gains that most riders bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, they limit the wheel width or the wheel depth, mm-hmm. um, even the number of spokes in the front wheel. No discs are allowed. No arrow gear. Mm-hmm. Although certain exceptions were made. We could use a road arrow helmet, but not a TT arrow helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly no bar extensions or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, no shoe covers. We could use our skin suits. Yeah. So mm-hmm. but basically we're just, they're trying to tone it down to a point where regardless of the equipment you have, you're on a pretty level playing field with everybody else. And they said, uh, Rich, who was the, the real, the race director, which is great. Cause he puts on so many races yep. and I don't think he makes money from it at all. It just, yeah, it's nice for him to do. Yeah. Um, it's basically, if you can line up on a crit with it, yep. you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the only thing he said is no shoe covers. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not, and then 40 millimeters for us was the limit. You had to be below 40 millimeters on the wheel depth. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. Like the intent is to level the playing field, but these days with aero road bikes and everything else, it's not necessarily level across the board. And our skin suits alone put us at an advantage over a lot of riders. Yes, they do. So. Uh, well, they're the, the no pins arrow coach. Yes, exactly. Um, so uh, all three of us were, were in that skin suit. We all three of us had arrow helmets. I had the POC Ventral, their new one. Um, Chad, I think, did you have the Specialized Evade? Mm-hmm. And then Evade? I think so. That so. That yeah. mm-hmm. the, yep, the Evade. Uh-huh. And then you had the- Giro Vanquish. Giro Vanquish. And you, had the, you were running the visor on yep. there. So, um, and then all of us had the skin suit. Uh, we just had normal, our, our normal road shoes that we had, no covers. You were pretty, as far as optimized gets. I was optimized. You were as optimized as you can get, right? Well, yes. that's, that's kind of how we roll. I mean, that's. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I did not for this race, but for every race yeah. in general, for me, the way I race, aero bike, right? right? And we've talked about this a few, many episodes ago, but for the vast majority of everyone, an aero bike, if you're a racer, is going to be faster than a lighter bike. And we yes. saw, we'll, we'll see evidence of that. Yeah. Because my, my bike is not an aero bike at all. Um, in fact, I think it was, mine I guess, is mine. yeah, the, yeah, yours either. Um, I think that, uh, so mine's like an, an older tarmac before they started making the tarmac arrow. Right. Um, and you guys did have trip socks on. Um, yeah, but which, I, I think those worked against me huh. as much as they worked for me when they were pulled up, they were probably doing their job. But the yeah. fact is they slouched over the course of about 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. They my, need some silicone on the inside. They do have those. some. Really? I found out that more. my legs are so skinny that they <clears throat> arrow. 
Arrow. Arrow. <laughs> yes, yeah. They, um, I'm sure this did not help. This has probably negated my, my bike speed or uh, arrowness is that they roll down to my ankle. So <laughs> yeah. I had like, you know, when you're a kid and you had tube socks and yeah. you roll them down. So yeah. to, it was like that. The whole I actually race. spent one of my descents pulling each of them back up. Really? I'm, I promise I didn't benefit my time. Oh, I'm sure it did. I'm going to glue them next yeah. time. Yeah, it's. I, I feel With like if you glue. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. That 3M spray glue going to new lengths here for yeah. numbers. Yeah, yeah, I'll use that idea. I, I'm just not going to use them. So yeah, I'm over it. Um, and then Nate, you took your bottles and cages off. Yeah, notice that it was like because uh, it was like a what 50 minute race and yeah. it was cold. Yeah, it was well, I don't want to need a bottle. Yeah, so these is something I want to cover really quick. I think this is why time trialers should do Merck's TTs. Because in, in one respect, like for me, it helped me really suss out the fact that I really benefit from the aero position uh, of the, my TT bike and everything else. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, weird. I think that I ended up somewhere, I know I was in the upper group of racers and then there was kind of a gap behind me, mm-hmm. but they're really like, man, it's, it's not, um, you get so much benefit from that TT bike. So learning to, to get into a situation where you don't have that TT bike and everything else, it kind of reminds you of the fundamentals of a triathlon or a time trial, forgive me, where you can really focus in on what you need to do in terms of execution. <laughs> so it's, it's like a, it's a, I feel like it's something that every time trial I should do every once in a while, do a Merck's TT. Speaking of that, yeah. um, this is what I was joking, laughing about before looking at Jonathan's power. Remember last time who we said he went out too hard mm-hmm. yeah. for this TT. On this TT, his first minute, 397 watts. Ah, you know, for a minute. <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know, you go It hard. does start on a little climb. It so does. it's kind of hard to it rein does. it in. Yeah, and, and I was just trying to get up to speed. I didn't... Um, for I, a minute. Yeah, you know, man, it takes a while. You're on a climb. But I, I wasn't necessarily jamming very hard or anything else like that. Once again, you know, perception is so low in the beginning of something like that that mm-hmm. it's easy to go too deep too but early. That's the whole thing, right? Perception is so low that you go deep and you pay for it later. Yeah. yeah. And or, yeah. and that's just it. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to set the world on fire. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, blew up or anything. And like have that. we disclosed how long this course was and roughly what time we were looking at? Yeah, we should cover that. It's about 18, 19 miles. And yeah. I think that we climbed about 1,200 feet. Yeah. It's not a flat course. It's not very not flat. So it's it's got climbs in it. One climb is about three minutes long, and it's uh, I think an average gradient of about nine percent. Yeah, it's a it's a legitimate climb. Yeah. So we knew getting into this that we we're going to be out there for anywhere from forty five to fifty five minutes. Yes, and it's and it's one though where it's once again it's an out and back. So mm-hmm. we're getting at the end. It's you know anything you've climbed, you've also descended. It's a huge negative split. Yep. Yeah, so you you climb up, going out, turn around, then you climb down, and then you end up descending down. Roughly thirty out, twenty back. So big negative split. Yep. And you, the interesting thing about it though is that um, you end up. Uh, it's it's after every climb, you're rewarded with a descent on this one. It's very rare that you climb, stay flat until the next climb. It's mm. like you climb, then you descend. You climb, you descend. It's just every time you descend, maybe a little less going out. Yeah. So it's, it's once again, this is a really tricky one for pacing. This is a sub hour effort, right? Um, not, not far under it, but it's a sub hour effort. So it's very much in line with, with district TT 40 K flat. We're looking at similar times, give or take a few minutes. The interesting thing though, is what you actually do during that is, is pretty darn different because during a 40 K TT, you're going to be looking at pacing very consistently. It's very different. And with this one, if you pace this one consistently, uh, you might not actually put up a better time because of these climbs. I guarantee you won't. Yeah. yeah, There's no way. You have to put out more on these climbs and that's the, and you know, we checked with best bike split and everything else and best bike split suggested the same thing that, um, even to my surprise, going surprisingly hard up the climbs, um, so it's, it's not paced at all like a flat 40 K TT, 
but the time ends up kind of similar. So how we lined up, um, mm, it does affect this. Yeah. this. This came about in the moment, but it worked out exceptionally well. Yeah, yeah I agree. We, it was 30 second gaps. Mm-hmm. First was Jonathan. Yes. Second was Chad. Yep. Third was Pete Morris. He's on the podcast. Product manager, racer for Cliff Bar. Yep. He's a cannonball of a human. He's a hammer. And yep. and if yep. any time trial suits him, it's a Merck style time trial. Yes. Uh, yeah. Flat would have been f- flat, flat Mercs. Flat is, would be even better. Pete's like yeah. that. If there's a pro that, he should do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then I was last. Fourth. Yes. So in this in this four riders. And then Dave went way before us. So he who, didn't really factor into yeah. that our lineup. Dave yep. Christensen, who was a uh, videographer here. Very, he, usually, he usually wins the time trials. Yes. He's a very, very fit cyclist. So Dave went way ahead of us. Um, how should we, how should we tackle this? Do you guys want to get into just where, how we place and then get into it? I'm just ready for the results. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> so Pete was the fastest 47. Wait, wait. <laughs> okay. Let's go from, okay. Fine. I was going to talk about you guys. Yeah. Let's talk the about last time you guys were three seconds. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this time, uh, so uh, let's, let's run through. We'll get okay. to it. Pete was 47, 48. That was his time. So 47 that, that minutes. That was the fast time of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And that's a really fast time on this course. Mm-hmm. I think that he averaged somewhere around 24 miles an hour, um, roughly with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and remember it's a very climbing course and it was slight winds and all that stuff too. Anyways, Dave uh, got second 48, 06. Nate got third, fourth, or forgive me, yes, fourth, fourth overall, but third you know, in the, the rider amongst slaughtered our group. In two seconds ahead yep. of him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Nate got fourth, forty-eight, eleven. Yes, which is pretty darn. Wait, what close. does that mean, guys? <laughs> that means that you you accomplished your mission of beating Chad and you <laughs> and me. Yes, that's I just yeah. leapfrog yeah, both of you. You almost yeah. beat everybody. No, but the the good thing. So I've always been like a mid pack kind of rider. Yeah, being so close to Dave actually gives me more confidence oh, yeah. in my running because I was five seconds behind. And you were low on confidence coming into this because yeah. of your Dave, training. I haven't been Dave serves as the bar. It's a really high bar too. So yeah. when you can get close to Dave, you know you're going good. Yeah. But I, I mean, you know what I mean though? Like it's, um, it, it, it does, it gives me confidence. Like how, how much more can I go now that I get that close to Dave? Well, seriously, I mean, you, you go out and you beat 20 no names. You don't know who they are. You don't know how good they are. It, it doesn't mean as much as it does when you meet somebody who's very reputable and consistent and very strong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great point. I was after, so I got sixth. There was a rider that slotted in between Nate and I, I got sixth and I was 48, 47. Uh, and then Chad, uh, you ended up just behind me, forty nine seventeen. Yeah, not my so best day. Pretty close splits between us again. Uh, Chad and I are kind of uh-huh. close, yeah. and it's interesting because we're totally different riders in terms of our, our our shapes and our strengths and everything else. So, um, so but, let's let's get to the power numbers because that's wait, what I find of particular interest here. I, yeah, I beat. Wait, let's too. let's talk about this some more. I beat <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan by thirty six seconds. Okay, and I beat Chad by. A minute, minute and a half. Six seconds. Oh. If I had like right? a, if this is like oh, a radio yeah, a show, I would hit that like cheer button right now yeah. for you. Yeah. So yeah. it was pretty nice. You did it. Does this mean I can stop being the carrot? <laughs> yeah. No, be... you're not the carrot anymore. Oh, my God. Well, the 40K TT still. Dave's I the mean, carrot. It's, it's, it's not like I'm going to like, based on, we'll talk about it more, but based on these results, it's not like, oh, Nate's going to win the 40K. No, there's yeah. nothing right. about this. And that's why we need to discuss the rest of the details. Power, yeah. power numbers, especially. So Pete did. So all of us had, um. So I, yeah, we'll just go into it. Pete did 330 Watts normalized 297 average. And he weighs around, I think around 200 pounds, right? 205. Now. Yep. 205. Um, Dave probably weighs somewhere around 140 pounds, hundred and yeah, somewhere around there. So we got the big guy and we got the little guy. Yep. And yeah. he did 311 for his normalized and 298 for his average, which is crazy high. Yeah. We are, we think that Dave's got either the slowest tires on earth and the worst drivetrain. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Um, because he's he's what is he five nine? Yeah, he's small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah he cuts a small hole. He's very arrow. Or he looks we need very to arrow. validate his power meter because yeah, it just the numbers don't make sense. Yeah. yeah. So we, he he definitely zeroed it, but we're gonna check the slope, make sure or actually calibrate it. Yeah. Make sure everything's up to snuff. There was yeah. a flat section where he put out ten more watts than me. But I took out 20 seconds out of him. And you cut a much bigger hole than him. Much you, bigger. You do. You have an aero bike, but I was looking at you. I mean, your position looks pretty good yeah. for, for being on a road bike in the drops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Relative but, to Dave, I think that Dave would still be slippery. More yeah, slippery. You just, He's just so yeah, tiny. He take a, He's got to have smaller CDA. A six CDA. foot six rider to a five nine rider. Yeah. Like, it would be really hard for the six foot six person, especially Dave can get low, right? Yeah, Dave is yeah. very No, low. I'm not trying to argue that. Yeah. Just, yeah. just to point out that you have some aerodynamics working. You certainly do. In your, in your benefit. Yeah, yeah. Traffic. Um, and then, Nate, you did 306 watts and then 291 normalized. And you're no, weighing- 306 about, normalized, 291 average. Yeah, forgive me. I got it backwards there. And you're weighing about how much? I was like 188. 188, mm-hmm. So okay. I'm getting a little heavier. And then I'm 147 pounds on race day and I was 275, 263. I didn't, I couldn't get my power meter to zero. Um, and I had, last time I had a zero was in my toasty office at around, you know, 70 degrees or so. And then it was cold out there. How much of an impact do you think that would make? I don't know. You know, in, in the past I've gone from very cold days, like where it's been calibrated inside Mm -hmm. warm. And then I've ridden, I mean, we're talking like 30 degrees and I've seen a difference of about 10 Watts that's perceived. It it has a sensor in there. So it's supposed to. Um, keep track of temperature fluctuations right, right, like right. that, but it's, it's always best case to do it. So yeah, yeah. grain of salt with that power number two. Yeah, the power data seems low for the perceived effort that I had, but sometimes <laughs> Me you too. have to, well, <laughs> Every ride. Yeah, well, yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 yeah. I'm saying- On this course though, it's so- uh, no, and don't say that. Don't say no, that on every ride because when I'm, I'm getting, I wouldn't say such a thing. So what I'm getting at is relative to other rides where I've actually pushed hard mm-hmm. and, and what it feels like, you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty well calibrated in that respect. Those numbers seem low uh, for, for what I actually ended up feeling this, like. I'm this one out. wrecked you. I've never seen you oh, yeah. so wasted at the end of a, an I, event. I was completely This was so. a little bit, uh, Carson City. That was the only other one that's yeah, been there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And no, but um, to that, not joking, as I actually was surprised that I didn't put out more power too up there. We yeah. were we were at yeah, what, let, like 6,000 feet. Let's get to that because yeah. let, let's talk about my power numbers first. Yeah, 308 normalized for you, 299 average. Yeah, so so skip back for a second here. Nate did 306, I did 308, and he went over a minute faster than me. Yeah. So, and we'll talk about some reasons why we think that is. Yeah. And, and I really think that, and the interesting thing with this though, just to, to cover this, the largest variance in between normalized, because this course is going to have a much higher variance than a normal time trial because of the climbs. Right. Mm-hmm. But the largest variance, Pete had a 1.11 and it's called a variability index. That's a metric you can use to track that. And it's yeah. basically just normalized power divided by your average power. So he had a, he had a big variation, big variation, uh, compared to the rest of us, we were all around one point. Chad, you were the most consistent. Once again, you're a great pacer. 1.03. I was no data. Yeah, that's true. There Zero data. And you didn't even look at Starting it. Starting up. That's. But maybe this course wasn't the best to do that. He's a machine. The no, pace evenly. No. It, yeah. I don't think it was. Yeah. We will absolutely talk about that. He's still a machine. That's incredible. Um, and then 1.05 for Nate, and then 1.04 for me. So and Dave was 1.04 too. So Pete was kind of an outlier in that respect. But looking at all of this, um, the big thing with this course, and and Nate and I might disagree on this still, but Compared to a flat tri- time trial, definitely this one is one that would benefit a person with like a, a better power to weight ratio because of the climbs, right? I think so. Um, but when you're looking at it in terms of like a, 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 a like a normal like hilly course or anything else like this, because this one rewards you with like such regular descents or frequent descents, 
and the descents kind of go like you do your climb and drop back down, then it's flat for a while. This is one where if you're a, a bigger, more arrow guy, you really will carry, see. You can carry a lot of speed down the descents. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. as big of a disadvantage. And uh, one thing is on uh, the downhills, you don't have to break. Not where at all. on other like no mountainous breaking. things, if you're big, like, so, you know, it's, it's physics, right? You have to carry the weight up and you should be rewarded on the way down. And if we didn't have wind resistance to overcome and it wasn't exponential, yeah. there would be, it, you'd go just as fast downhill and it would all be made up. Yeah. But, um, on other mountainous things where you have to hit the brakes into turns, mm -hmm. you're losing all that every time. Yeah. So the bigger people, all we're doing is overcoming wind resistance on the way down, yeah. as long as you don't touch the brakes. The no, no brakes on this course. There really aren't any sections yeah. on it that merit braking. The turnaround that you hit, if you charge into that, you can break. But even then, that's what? actually on an uphill. So you even don't really have to break that much. I'm not sure I braked. I think I just let off the gas yep. and sailed through. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really a no brakes type of a course. So, so bigger guys can definitely be, be benefited in this case. The interesting thing is, so it trying to figure that out. And this is a lot of conjecture, I guess, kind of like you're, you're trying to draw from different metrics and there are plenty of variables We're we can't control. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, some interesting stuff. We looked at the descents, right? Um, and that's an interesting point to me is to, to look at that and see how long it lasted. We're all at different weights. Um, different aerodynamics, that sort of a thing. I think this is the most interesting takeaway we determined from this. Yeah. So, uh, coast time basically. And I used trainer road and upcoming features that we're going to have where you can analyze your rides. It's going to be awesome. So, um, I looked at this and I, I found exactly where we coasted. I only coasted four times on that course. And if you add up all that time, it goes to one minute, 34 seconds of coast time. Chad, you coasted five times and one minute and 47 seconds. So not much more really. I, I adjusted my socks once too. So there we go. One of those is kind of garbage, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I get where you're going. Uh, Nate six times for one minute and 54 seconds. Dave seven times for two minutes and 47 seconds. Pete eight times for five minutes. The guy who put seconds. in the fastest time coasted for five minutes over the course of that. It's <laughs> amazing. It makes sense because he's the heaviest it makes, that, he would, that he would coast the most. It makes good sense, but that is such a big difference. That's a lot, right? It, that's two and a half times as long as I coasted. Yeah. If you were to tell somebody that you did a time trial and it was 47 minutes long and you did nothing for five minutes of that, mm -hmm. that's pretty crazy. It's really impressive. Well, and the, the, the reason why is how, when we were coming out of pedaling, Mm -hmm. Like what, how quickly, and this is where I could have done a better job. And yeah. me too. We took, we took the four biggest descents and averaged the, the miles per hour for it. Mm -hmm. I would come out, I would start pedaling on average at 40 miles per hour. Okay. I yeah. could totally have tucked better yeah. and, and, sailed. you know, sailed for a little bit longer, probably even went faster mm -hmm. and saved energy yeah, and, and I, then put I, it on into another hill later. I know yes. better than this. I see the best riders do it and it just didn't resonate that day. Hmm. Jonathan, the first day. Or the first one, the first descent, you pedaled the whole way down, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. And you averaged 36 miles per hour for when you came out. So you did hold it longer, which is good. Yeah. The interesting thing with this too, I looked at max cadence. So it wasn't like, um, any of us was spinning excessively. Mm -hmm. We all were 113 to 116 for our max cadence on the day. Yeah. Didn't even crack 120. So we didn't even, so it wasn't like I was like, you know, spinning like crazy. Um, huh. It was just, I wasn't to a speed where I could actually, you know, coast. So Chad also pedaled down the first descent. Um, and then your average was 39. So you're pretty close to me. I, I argue not, both of us could have, could have, yeah, talked a lot better for sure. And then Pete, he coasted 37.5. So a whole, just about three miles per hour, but, less than me. And how much longer that, that difference between 40 miles per hour and coasting down to 37.5 can carry you is significant. Especially yes. if you're super different tucked. 
Yes. Um, that's yeah. that's the Pete, key thing. Pete is. rides the top two. That's not something I'm willing to do. And certainly do not well. for a local race. And I think Dave does as well. Uh-huh. So the three of us were doing top tubes and then Pete uh, grabs the stem in the center, basically. So his elbows are tucked in. I do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do that if it's extremely, if there's turns or anything else. If there's turns, I'll be down there and it's not too sketchy. But see, I'll have my hands in the drops. I still. remain, I remain seated and I put basically my shoulders on the bars and my hands are tucked in. So I, I get very narrow and yes. low. I won't get onto the top tube. Yeah. And Pete's top speed down the, down the wall was 54. Mine was 52. So we're yeah. talking a, a very slight difference for yeah. a whole lot less control. Yeah. And the interesting thing is depending on your body shape, depending on the bike you're riding and its geometry, mm-hmm. a top tube tuck may not be faster than just tucking down normally. And that's been proven in wind tunnels. They say that for some people it's the better, risk of it some all. people it isn't. I, ca- I stay in the drops. And I hit my brakes twice on the descents here. <laughs> Only one problem in the whole race. But what happens, and if someone can type in a, a fix for this, is I get going so fast. And I, I thought this visor on this helmet would do it. But also on the, uh, I had Oakley radars, they do it too. The wind kicks up and my eyes get so watery that I can't see the road. Did mm-hmm. you try changing your head angle? Mm-hmm. That's well, I have to look up. Well, I mean, oh, no, I mean, look up more. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're letting wind more. get in between the gap between your helmets and yep. the top rim of your glasses. I don't know. It just, when it yeah. happens, it happens really quickly. And it's like, so that's, you can't that's, panicky, yeah. that's, yeah, yeah. The, that's the typical fix. I mean, other than finding glasses that may not do it, but the typical, typical fix is if you have that, you have to change the way the air is flowing over. <clears throat> so whether that's changing your head position fore and aft, whether that's changing the up and down angle, I mean, yeah. head down, eyes up or whatever else you need to do to be able to, to stop that. That's what I would recommend. So I hit 51 and a half and I swear when I hit the brakes, I was accelerating. Um, <laughs> so I just think what that tells us is Chad and I are similar weights. You were probably, um, you didn't hit the brakes is that I'm probably more arrow than you in that, in that position. I think you're more arrow in general. The the numbers say that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we do, I, we did some new Strava segments and Pete and I, um, on the way out in one section at the same, at less Watts, I put like 20 seconds in on them on the flat. But then on the way That's back, not surprising because Pete's a broad rider, yes. big rider. On, yep. But on the way back at the same wattage we did, he put 10 seconds into me. And what I think it is, is, um, I've been complaining about this is I am a weak human and <laughs> my triceps hurt and my back hurt right. my upper back. So you, you fail to hold that position. I fail to hold the position at the beginning. I was like so low and, and, and bent over. And then on the way back, I would kept getting tired and my elbows would get higher and higher. Same here. And it just, yep. it's a, it's a huge, um, it's a huge difference, right? Like oh, yeah. that's a 30 second kind of swing. Well, you said, cause you were behind me for quite some time. And you said I was pretty high when I had my hands in the drops, as opposed to when I had my hands on the hoods. I think I've lost touch with what it means to be low on a road bike. And yeah. I just, I, I would just ride a little taller than usual. And when man, I saw Chad, me. I thought, I actually thought, whoa, his back must be hurting. Cause it doesn't look like he's in yeah. the drops at all. Yeah. I thought you were just riding on top. I like, was riding tall and hunching. Just, it, it just yeah. felt better. So I was kind of cheating myself out of a, obviously a little bit of speed. Yeah. The interesting thing is I looked at our biggest descent, um, on the course where you get over 50 miles an hour. And you, Nate, even though you tapped your brakes and you only got to 51 miles an hour and a half or as the, yeah, then, then the majority of us, like I got to 55, Pete got around there. You got, like you said, 52, 53, almost 55. Okay. Almost 55. So all of us were around the same speed, even though you were like four miles an hour slower in terms of peak speed or three mile, three and a half miles an hour slower, you still out coasted us in terms of duration for a very long time. 
and you started pedaling at a higher speed than the rest of us. So you could have even coasted even longer. Mm-hmm. So that definitely does to me, number one, weight helps when you're yeah. going downhill. But then number two, that also speaks to aerodynamic efficiency, right? In the sense that you're able to carry it, you know, that, that coast out a lot longer. And when you look at Pete, he outcoasted all of us by a country mile. And, and it was, he started pedaling at 39 miles an hour. I started pedaling at 38 miles an hour. You started pedaling at 39. We're, we're looking at the long, long descents too. We mm-hmm. know there were other stretches on that TT where Pete was coasting that, oh, yeah. that we were working and yep. it worked in his benefit. Well, he, he also super started, well. He, he is started, he started coasting he is, at 18 miles an hour. Minutes. Dave started coasting at 32. You started coasting at 36. And then Nate and I, we started coasting at 21. It's really interesting to see that Pete, a big guy like that, he knows and trusts his ability to build momentum so regularly that he just drops down. Well, see, that's another thing. He's exploiting his strength there. He knows he can work his speed back up in a Mm -hmm. heartbeat. Whereas we, I think we're a little reticent. We don't want to shave off speed that we're going to have to reacquire. So we we stay on top of it. At least that was my reasoning over the entire course of this one. Mm -hmm. And in my thought, in my mind, which this could very well be wrong, but I I feel like I need to get myself to a certain speed so then I can start talking because I know I, I don't cannonball my way down and build momentum quite as quickly as Pete. So, but it's, it's really interesting to just see the benefits that you can get when you really start like a Dave, for example, he started pedaling 1000 feet before. So after they were talking, he started pedaling 1000 feet before Pete did. Hmm. So like he spent all that time well, pedaling, a right? Thousand? A thousand, a kilometer. Feet. Yes. But, I mean, or, he, no, no feet, a thousand feet, 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 but yeah. still, but it's crazy. A lot, he does. Right? I mean, the opposite though, if you think about it, how much less power Dave has to do to go up a, the same hill that they went down, yeah. of course. A, a 140 rider versus 205, but, that it, it's going to benefit Dave in that situation. Well, it, no, in one respect. Like, sure, that's that's separate. Like, don't even talk about the climbs. Just talking about the descent. Look at how much more time he's spending pedaling. Look at how much more time he's spending, you know, wasting energy compared to Pete that's able to carry it. But that said, Dave's also lighter. So he would have petered out a little earlier. He would have reached that speed where he needs to get out of his mm-hmm. tuck and start pedaling. Yeah. But really, in the end, what this is proving to me is just the fact that um, weight can definitely be an advantage. And I know that we always talk about power to weight. And, and a lot of people beat themselves up for having a higher weight or, or not being able to, to affect that. But there are some plus sides to be able to carry more weight, especially mm-hmm. if you utilize it intelligently like Pete does. Yeah. And of course, you might not think would, would work that way. It's only like this thing too, because if you're in a Peloton yeah. and Dave was in a draft, he'd be fine. Right. Totally. Like he, he's good. It, there'd be no, uh, mm-hmm. he was not overcoming wind resistance and he would be able to coast just as far as probably everyone else would. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say about this is Chad, you climb the hills like as fast or faster than me. I took all my time out of everybody and Jonathan, you killed me on the hills. Um, mm-hmm. I think even Pete beat me on the hills. Yeah. All my time was on the flats that I, mm. and I, I took out like 30 seconds per flat section on you guys. Yeah. You, you got to work on the hills. No, no. I, I, I was, uh. It was a strategy. It was a oh, different pace. Was intentional. Yeah, I was trying to pace um, less uh, sporadic. Like, mm. even though I, it's crazy though, is that my normalized was still um, higher than my average than yours. Yours was was I think maybe that's because the downhills. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I was so, trying to hammer it on the flats. I do want to go back to this though, because we yeah. have roughly an hour long effort and we have normalized power, and from that we can kind of yeah. we can talk FTP and see. So if I looked at this from a coaching perspective, I mean, what's your FTP right now? So it's 293. And to clarify, okay. last week I did 295 <clears throat> for about 40 minutes. Okay. So let's just so. say 295. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your numbers might be slightly questionable. Nate's, we don't think so. Nate, your threshold is 340-ish. 330. 330. So it's come down. Okay. So both you guys operated at what? 
maybe 90% of your threshold, whereas yeah. my threshold, and we put it at 315, but now we're thinking it's more like 310 because we used, we, we made a small error. I basically operated at threshold for the entire run. So very close. If I were coaching you guys, I would I wouldn't consider this a failure by any stretch of the imagination, but I would say we got to figure out why you guys can't maintain a higher percentage of what should be your sustainable power. I had a really big. I had a 600 TSS week, huge ride. The week. So you're before. carrying in a lot of fatigue. Yeah. yeah. So you think on a fresher day you could have ridden closer to 330 for the oh, for this ent- I don't know for sure, but minutes. I know 600 TSS and then one day off doesn't yeah. probably I feel like make you've been awesome doing ride. 600 TSS weeks for a while though. Yeah. Okay. Just, just something, just something and, to think about. And I, I thought the same thing after the race. I was like, yikes, mm-hmm. this is really bad for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I hadn't done that prior, that, that effort, it was really up Geiger before Geiger, then up Geiger and being yeah. able to carry that, that speed up through or that yeah, wattage all the way through. wasn't fresh as a daisy. I just, I don't. Yeah. If I hadn't, but if I hadn't done it beforehand, I feel like I would have been question. I would have been doing the same thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like you have to look into the data and what it says, well, you know, coach's hat off and just Chad back at the table here. Yeah. I'm going to crush you guys. Cause I, cause I feel like <laughs> I, I'm, I've every effort I've demonstrated so far has shown that I can take my threshold power and extend it to whatever duration I need it to be. I can ride a little above it when it's a shorter duration on a TT so, bike. So everything road bike looks too. good so far for me. It's the TT bike part that scares me. Well, he can do it on both. I know that's, and we're, we're both of us are lower. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. His, his are his is closer. His data is. So I, I still think there's plenty of drama here and Nate, Nate, Spanked me. I mean, this don't don't visualize that. Nate, <laughs> Nate beat me by a good margin. Yeah. Jonathan beat me again. Well, I guess I beat him last time, but you beat me by a, a narrow margin. Narrow margin. So there's still quite a lot of. Oh yeah, it's 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 tight. Quite a lot of up in the air here. We have another TT next week. I know yeah, we do. It's, it's a hill it's not a very TT. telling one. <laughs> so and, and kind of like power. Yeah, 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 and it, you and I weigh the same, so we're very close to the same. And kind of like this one, though, like there are things you can take from it, but it's not as direct, straight across comparison, right? Like these TTs that we're doing leading up to it, it's not a, it's not a direct tell of what will likely be happen. No, that's that's else. what's keeping it interesting. Really I, cool. I feel like Chad's got to win. I've got to win, and on the hill climb, uh, it's going to be a what a seven eight mile five percent climb. Jonathan yeah. will. Dominate. Jonathan should win uh, on that. Yeah, well, hopefully. If I can lose yeah. nine you'll, you'll pounds put a couple minutes on us. between today and then. <laughs> and also, though, we're going to no come power up. In the I process. think you'll have to hit up Global Dro to yeah. <laughs> whatever you're going to do to make that the, happen. Well, the so. other thing to think about is we have Sagan Fondo on yeah. Saturday and the race is on Tuesday. We should all be pretty evenly fatigued. Yes. I don't think well, any of us are going to. I'm doing a big ride Sunday because I want to. These are, we talked about, these are training, training races. Week, yeah, yeah. and 40K yeah. TT is yep. coming up. So I want to make sure that I hit my training stress goals. I'm going to try to have another 600 TSS week, but that will also, whoever can recover from Sagan Fondo the best is also going to have an advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll get into the hill climb time trial next week. Um, with that, uh, let's actually jump in and see if we can get some of these questions knocked out. Okay. Um, Hopefully that was all educational for all of you. Um, going into this one, I'm um, doing a Grand Fondo in Santa Fe, which is at 7,200 feet. I live and train at sea level and I'm planning to arrive in Santa Fe seven days prior to the race. What training adjustments do I need to make to the final workouts leading up to the event since I will not be acclimated yet? It's not my A race, so I will be in, th- in week three of the rolling road race specialty plan. Yeah. First off, that's a little bit, a little bit concerning that you're going week three into a race. Week three should be funneling you into a recovery week. Mm. So I, the, the couple of workouts prior, I would definitely scale down. And because you're at altitude, the, the, the drop in power you're going to see for the same level of exertion is, uh, 
is a bummer as well. It, hmm. I think I talked about this last week. I can't remember if I talked about it to you guys or on the podcast, so I'm going to reiterate. Cool. Tim Karras and Team Sky, they go to uh, Tenerife to do a, a, a camp, which is at roughly the same altitude that you're at. Yeah, 7,200 feet in Santa Fe. Uh, coaching channel guy. Yeah. And the first day, they all saw a 70-watt drop. As a percentage of their functional threshold, thresholds, I don't know what that is, but I can imagine it's it's substantial. That is scary. Yeah, on day one, but by day three, that cut in half. Now they're at a 35 watt deficit. So this is crazy because this is different than everything I've read. I know, I know, I know. So this is just one example. So take that with a, a grain of salt. Um, by day 14, two weeks in, no difference at all. You're mm-hmm. falling well inside of that 14 day acclimatization period. So I don't, I don't. You're you're not going to be fully up to snuff. So I'm not trying to discourage you, but just uh, scale Expect your expectations drop. accordingly. Um, and then a random study in this study is more in line with what we see most of the time is it takes at least 10 days, more like 12, 13, two, 12, 13 days, two weeks before you're fully acclimatized and back to the sort of power you, you, you were expecting at sea level or at lower, at lower altitudes. Yeah. So m- just, just know, expect sluggishness over the of course of those first few workouts, some lethargy, you're not going to feel great. And you might have to shift a little more towards a uh, rate of RPE based training. Yeah. The numbers aren't going to be as helpful as they usually are. So you're going to have to look at those numbers and recognize they're a little lower, but I'm, I feel like I'm working just as hard. So yeah. give, give RPE the, the credit, the, yeah. the, the due credit. It could be like, it could uh, sap your confidence right before a race. You go up there uh, and it just feels hard. And you can't even finish a workout. Yeah. This, that's good advice, Chad. But, but for, I don't know how long you're there. I know you're there seven days prior. And if you're going to stick around afterwards, but you could get in a bit of an altitude camp over the course of this and, and get in that full 14 hour days, drive a lot of that uh, altitude training benefit. And it just so happens you're at pretty much the optimal altitude to do so. Yeah. So yay for you. With past experience, if you know how you're going to deal with, you know, elevation, that sort of area, that's when you can use the power data intelligently because you need to kind of have like a scale to which you apply it. Um, but, but to drive this point home again, it does go like, once again, that it can only just that, that should inform your perception. And when you're riding at there, you know, to a certain degree, like it shouldn't replace it because when you get in those situations, like you said, expecting sluggishness and lethargy you can get into situations where like I've seen people at elevation and they, even though they may say that they feel just fine when they start riding or anything else, but things can shift so rapidly. It can be really difficult. People deal with it differently. It's all individual. So, and they do actually, there's a a, a term I came across, which is altitude memory. I'm not sure who used it, but the more you train at altitude, the more time you spend at altitude, even if you spend time away from it, your body returns to that, that acclimatized state a little more rapidly. Interesting. Yeah. And I could, I've, uh, I could see a lot of people just, and that would build your confidence as well. I see a lot of people shatter themselves before a race at elevation, just merely from a confidence perspective, Mm. because they either they've had a bad experience or they've never raced at elevation and they don't know. And then they end up getting into the spot where they're just kind of dreading it. Well, if you bring yourself into an event and you're topped off, you're in your best physical condition, but you jump up 3000 feet, 6,000 feet. And I mean, your confidence is in an all time high, but your capabilities simply aren't going to be there. That's why I'm so before a 40 KTT, I'm, I'm a week at sea level one week before I'm so like, and you, yeah, and you've no, got to train for that do some big numbers. That's not helping you. Yeah. yeah so. I just have to have bigger numbers yeah. than you, Chad. Just go down there and just crush yourself for a week. 
the entire week. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> Every day. Uh, <laughs> um, let's go into the question from Kip. He says, Hey guys, I've been really enjoying the podcast. I'm a newer cyclist and I joined trainer road this past December and I started at an FTP of 167. Now four ish months later, I just did the FTP test. Uh, that is at the halfway point of the mid volume, uh, sustained power build plan where I tested at an FTP of 245. Wow. Holy cow, man. Trainer road has been excellent at helping me get stronger. My question pertains to strategies to break bad habits for context. In my youth, I was a swimmer for many years. I find that whenever I start hard efforts, 110% of FTP, something like that, I tend to hold my breath. Naturally, this causes my heart rate to spike and increases the difficulty before I remember that I can breathe at any time on a bike. Any strategies or suggestions for breaking this bad habit? Yeah, so Kip, what you're describing is akin to a Valsalva maneuver, which in weightlifting actually has a place, does not have a place in huh. endurance training. Absolutely does not. So uh, my first bit of advice to you is if, if you don't have the on-screen instructions turned on, turn them on because I will beat you over the head with breathing suggestions. I mean, it's, it's such a crucial component and there are so many ways to use it, whether you're distracting yourself from the discomfort of the effort, um, actually clearing out the waste that if you don't exhale effectively, it doesn't get cleared out quite as well. But in any case, it's a, it's a really uh, common theme over the course of those workout instructions. Yeah. Um, and then r repetition, you got to build habits. Don't do it. I, I when I t taught the classes and I had seven riders around me, I would see this very thing. Even if it was in the midst of an interval where we'd have like a, one of those little five, six second spikes, I'd see people hold their breath, even though they're going into it <laughs> yeah. gasping already, they'd hold their breath for that little push. Yeah. So I think it's a somewhat of a natural response, but it's one that does not lend itself to what we're trying to accomplish here. Mm -hmm. So absolutely learn to breathe through it. And again, repetition is, is what's going to habitualize that and make you make it come as uh, more naturally than it does right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just learn to embrace the pain and discomfort of these hard efforts. Know that they're going to, they're going to hurt. And one of the reactions to pain is to, you know, hold your breath, do the, do this very thing. So I understand why it happens. Just, just accept that. Yeah, it's going to hurt, but holding my breath through it, isn't going to make it any easier to tolerate. Yeah. When you saw people hold their breath, did they know they were doing it? No, no. In, in, in all cases, they weren't <laughs> yeah. intentionally doing it. Right. I would remind them, say, drop your shoulders, breathe. And it, same thing with, you know, training people, they, they, could be 10, 12 repetitions. You can't hold your breath for 10, 12 repetitions, at least not yeah. if you want to work effectively. So it's just kind of a natural response. I wonder how many listeners who do workouts are doing this. Oh yeah. Are yeah. holding their breath and don't realize it. For sure. Shortchanging your That's workout. That's why those comments are there. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes I'll say, you're probably holding your breath right now. Breathe. And I'm sure you remind yourself with those workout texts. For a lot sure. Of time yeah. And I've still... cultivated the habits that I don't have to think about it anymore. It's not to say it doesn't happen. Maybe sometimes, I'm, sometimes. I'm unaware of it yeah. and I'm we, holding we my should, breath. We should have Chad come into our office. I do my two hour trainer session. Just sit there, <laughs> make sure I breathe. Just stare at you. <laughs> Just stare at me. Be your, breathe, breathe, your breathing coach. Just yeah. be my on-screen <laughs> instructions, but actually be there. Sounds like an effective use of my time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's ever gone and gotten a massage, um, like a, a like a sports yes, therapy that's massage. That's a good example. When you sit there and you go and you hold your breath and the the hopefully good therapist says, no, 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 breathe, breathe and relax. And you learn to breathe through the pain like that. I believe that there's a lot of help with that. This is like when a dentist gives you a shot. It's his big breath. Yeah. You breathe out and they give you the shot. Everything's just a little better. My yeah. daughter got her ears pierced. They said, breathe. Uh, breathe, smell in the cake, blow out the canvas. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's Remember that. workout text yeah. right there. <laughs> Expect to see that soon. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to say with this is, cyclocross riders, mountain bike riders, 
and road racers and triathletes. All of you do this mountain bike riders. When you come across technical terrain, hmm. you hold your breath mm. and your same body thing, stiffens up. Same accordingly. thing with cyclocross racers. You go up to barriers and you're, and you're just clenched and you're terrified and you don't know what to do. We do, but you watch the top level riders. They don't. They don't. No, in they fact, don't. there's a, there's a pro enduro rider who he's since retired, um, legendary downhill racer. His name is Fabian Burrell and that's F A B I E N Burrell is B A R E L. Go on YouTube and look at videos of him. You will hear him breathing so loudly at all times when he was descending hmm. instead. And you will, you'll hear it over his free hub. You'll hear it over his tires. The guy sounds like, like he's got a megaphone attached to him, but he forced himself to breathe and forces himself to do that. And you'll see that with a lot of the top enduro and downhill racers, they force themselves to just expel that air when they're breathing and to, and they don't really, you're going to breathe in. Don't worry about that. But they force themselves to push it out and to push it out. And it, I feel like it's so helpful to do road racers when you're doing, when you're riding crits, how many times do you hold your breath coming into that sketchy section? Or mm -hmm. when you're in the group, do you find yourself holding your breath more triathletes coming into transition? Or when you deal with gusts of wind and then you hold your breath and tighten up even more, that's the last thing you want to do with a gust of wind. So like it's, it's something that goes into intervals and everything beyond that too. You can make yourself a much more effective you know, uh, yeah. I guess a mechanism on yeah, your bike. Yeah. Trainers are a great place to practice establishing these habits too. Yeah. I mean, trainers not going to throw anything technically challenge at you, at, challenging at you. We know this, but if you can learn to you know work through hard efforts, short, spiky, tough efforts, and breathe thoroughly through them, it's going to carry to things you do outdoors. Yeah, it absolutely will. We're going to close it out with a fun one, the, the final one here from Lewis. He says, uh, what apps do you guys use for cycling other than the norms? He says, maybe other riders ha also have some great suggestions. Um, so we went through and looked at the, and I, I we kind of made some lists uh, for different ones that we use. Um, Nate, do you want to start? And then we'll yeah. work to uh, Chad. Then I think the norm is everyone probably uses Strava. Yeah. All right. right. Everyone, yeah. yeah. Of course. Well, really, I'm trying to think of all the apps besides Trainer Road. Yeah. Um, best bike split. That's the only one is I, I usually throw in courses that we do for TTs and just mm -hmm. try to figure out a pacing plan or, or longer road race. But yeah. Road, not, not usually road races, but maybe like, uh, uh, lost and found or something like that. When I get serious and want to do a solo break for the whole entire road race, I use best bike split. Okay. I'll have to look. That has only happened once. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, that's, uh, what about you, Chad? What apps do you use? Um, it or like depends to use? what I'm doing. I've used view ranger and all trails a couple times. Oh, view ranger sweet. What's view ranger is a gooder for, uh, yeah. for, we use it largely for trail runs, yep. but for, certainly for mountain bike, mountain mm -hmm. bike. What is it? Rides. It's like, basically like you can hold your phone up and it's almost like AR or yeah, augmented reality. Um, and then what you can do is you can see the peaks and the peaks are labeled where you're at. And you can also do it non-AR oh, cool. and you it's can pretty smart. see it. Obviously you have to have connected connection. So yes. that's, that's the, the weak leak there. Oh, so you can say like as often as I'd like that peak is Mount Rose and that peak is yes. P vine and mm -hmm. yeah. stuff like that. You can mm -hmm. see it from above as well in relation to your point, you know, but, uh, the AR thing is really handy to have uh, mm -hmm. It's super. I love that idea. I dig it. Yeah. 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 And then all trails, all trails just to figure out where to ride or mm -hmm. run in yeah. our cases. And then map my ride and just kind of a, I use that more as a, what am I getting myself into sort of measure? Mm -hmm. Because I have these routes in my head and then I think, wow, that seems kind of long. And I did this a couple of weeks ago and I ended up committing myself to a hundred mile ride <laughs> and yeah. uh, really wish I'd mapped that because that was a long day. <laughs> Um, I use it as everybody knows, I'm kind of a, a photo nerd, um, as you can see from my Instagram and other things like that. But, uh, photography, I use Lightroom on my phone all the time. It's super easy to edit and it has a good camera in there. Uh, if I'm riding with other people and I need to find them, 
And uh, like, let's say you need to meet up or anything else like that. Find my friends is super helpful. Snapchat is very creepy with this, but you can also use Snapchat. And if people have approved their location, you can see where all of your friends are at all times. So if you use Snapchat and you've approved that and you don't want that, you should probably check that. Um, Youngsters need social media. Yeah. Um, For planning routes, I, like Chad said, map my rides really good on the, um, on computer. A ride with GPS is okay. Strava is good for route mapping. Another one though, if you're on your phone and you need to do it, this one's from DC Rainmaker, a good tip is called easy route. And it's actually really on your phone. You can just create a route really easily. And it's really intuitive. Uh, the tricky thing with that is like touching and panning and not setting a point you'd think, but they've figured out a way to do it and it just works. Um, it's really helpful. And you can even from that easy route thing, you can actually push it from your phone, I believe over to your Wahoo element or your garment from your phone, which is pretty cool. Um, for trails I use, uh, so if it's a backcountry expedition, Gaia GPS, it's expensive. I think that it's like 90 bucks and it's an iPhone app, but it comes with incredible maps and it's better than almost every GPS handheld GPS you have. You just have to make sure you have enough battery on your phone and maps that reside on your phone. Yes. And you can download them beforehand and you can get like seven different types of USGS official maps. You can get a bunch of stuff. It's really helpful. Mm. Um, but then the last one that I use for mountain biking and trails trail forks is absolutely the best one to use. That one will show your position in relation to the trails. But then the cool thing is like when I was in BC up in Whistler and I wanted to find some trails to ride, Mm. I'd look around, I'd tap on the trail. Every trail has a ton of reviews. Um, users can upload GoPro videos so you can see exactly what the trail looks like. Um, they have, it's regularly updated with status changes and people will say like even one trail, though somebody said a tree's down about 0.7 miles into the trail. So like, it's really helpful. It's like, so it's like, like a, ways for trails. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of crowdsourced. With trail forks, I have used that before. And can you download the maps ahead of time? You can now, and you can even download the trail forks maps now down to onto your Garmin too. Cause that's so important. I, I did a ride the other day and you didn't have cell service and I tried to look up in Google maps, but you can download it too, but they don't have the trails. Yeah. So it just, I, I couldn't tell where I was or which yeah. trail, to, which, which yeah. like, you know, where to yeah. go, but trail, trail forks would have saved me. It's super helpful. And the cool thing is too, I think when you're onboarded, they say, we see you're from Nevada or wherever else. Do you want to download all the trails or all the maps in Nevada? And it'll, and you can download state by state. You can download those. Cool. Um, so it's super helpful. Downloading that. And as soon as this is over. Yep. Yeah. It's awesome. So yeah, those are the apps we use in addition, of course, to trainer road. Um, and, <laughs> uh, Jonathan. stay tuned for that because we have some super cool updates that, uh, you guys are really going to enjoy. We've you're talked about them a lot, it. but, uh, stay tuned for it. So thanks everybody for joining us on the podcast. If you're here on the live stream, stick with us. We'll answer a handful of those questions that you've sent in. And if you want to submit your training questions, cycling triathlon related, you can do so at trainerroadcom slash podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>